Hi, this is Mike Metcalf talking about decision-making. The system I have in mind to argue for, or to critique, is I will call decision-making by imitation. Imitation's a little bit of a controversial term. You might prefer analogy, copying, benchmark... Mimicking role models, or even by comparison. I realize it does sound a little bit strange, but I hope to explain what I'm thinking in this episode. A lot has written, been written on decision making, a lot of it coming out of the psychology literature. There's obviously a relationship between decision making and problem solving. I have a problem, or I spot a problem, I go through all the options, come up with a a solution and implement it. I make a decision that this is the way to implement the solution. So there's obviously a a close relationship between problem solving and decision making. I would normally talk about problem solving, but because there's so much literature on decision making, I'm going to focus on that term here. So what do I mean by decision making by imitation? So, for example, if I'm trying to decide whether to buy or what piece of equipment to buy or whether to buy a piece of equipment, I might say to myself, look, these guys over here are are experts in the field and they've decided to do this. I'm going to imitate them or mimic them or copy them and do the same thing. We'll buy the same equipment or maybe a variation on the same equipment, but, but basically... We're being very seriously influenced in our decision by somebody we respect, a hero, or um, it might be too strong a word, but a a role model. This, of course, is what benchmarking is about. You find an organization or a group that you respect and think they're doing a good job and think we've got to do the same thing. We've got to make the same sort of decisions that they make. You actually see this in marketing. If they try and sell you something, they'll show you somebody that you're meant to be sort of think to be clever or funny or good-looking or something or other, who decides to buy this product, hoping that you'll imitate that and make the same decision. This is done with sometimes getting you know important fa- and famous people to use a product, hoping that you'll associate with that, treat them as a bit of a hero and do the same as they do. Of course, all culture is imitation, so we, we imitate all the time. And often we make the sort of decisions that we think our parents or our religious leader would want us to make. Uh, One can see that if you try and live your life by Buddha or Muhammad or Jesus, you might say to yourself, what what decision would they make in this situation and therefore I'll do the same thing? More secular response might be to say, they're rich and famous, they make these decisions, I'll do the same. This happens a lot with finance people. Everybody wants to copy the successful ones. And by copy, I mean make the same decisions they made. Now, we have to be careful with decision-making as in defining it. There are some things that we do that are a reflex. If somebody throws something at you, you duck. When you chew something, your tongue by reflex pulls back in. You have reflexes in your knee. This... Is this decision-making? 
Sort of, but it's a very biological thing, and, and most likely not what we're talking about here. Of more interest to me is those sort of everyday decisions. Should I park my car here? Shall I go and talk to this person? How should I respond to this email? Those sort of everyday things that would normally require a matter of minutes or seconds even to decide to make a decision, to decide which way to choose. Then there are those decisions that are important that you might take some days or weeks over. You might do a lot of analysis, collect a lot of data, talk to a lot of people. They're important, maybe expensive or strategic decisions that you make in your life. Those longer decisions and the shorter decisions, I think we need to have an explanation of how humans make decisions that covers both those, both the the continuous and, and rapid, as well as the more considered decisions. So my decision-making system says I, the inputs I get largely are from watching the behavior of other people, some of which I decide that I respect and want to copy. Obviously, an event occurs, and so I make a decision. That's the transition, that's what happens within the system, and the output is consequences that I will either like or not like. And, of course, these will have an impact on the next decision I make, hopefully. We learn from the consequences. Again, notice that often a decision does require the collection of evidence um, or facts or things to help you make the decision and access to those facts and people who can present you with those facts and discuss those facts is a very, very important part of the longer-term decisions. The more everyday ones rather have to be made with whatever evidence you've collected to date. Although you might pause and say, I won't decide until I've checked on X happening, or did it happen or didn't happen. Here again we get an analogy with argumentation and negotiation. There is only really basically one human inquiry system that is to collect evidence and make a decision. Now I might imitate a scientist and say the way I make decisions uses the advice from the, the rational philosophical literature or from science. It says form a conjecture this is largely Karl Popper stuff, go along and collect evidence, try and collect evidence both for and against, red teaming is important, try and collect evidence of consequences, assemble the evidence and decide whether your conjecture or hypothesis was supported or not, and then you know how to act. This is the scientific method. Now I I can choose to copy that, and I hope scientists and a lot of rational people do. It's been incredibly successful during the Enlightenment period, you know, the, over the last 2,000 years. Largely what I think the Romans, uh, sorry, the Greeks invented, the ancient Greeks. But to be careful, I don't say that human brains automatically do this. It, it's a way of making a decision that we imitate. So we imitate what might be considered to be the rational method or the scientific method. Now, sometimes 
We don't do that. Sometimes we just simply go, if you like, with our gut or our intuition or just our emotions. We don't sit down and think about it rationally. Of course, you can make decisions much quicker if you don't go through the extensive scientific or rational method. So I'm arguing, and I've always argued, that human beings are imitation machines first and foremost, that the survival mechanism that keeps babies alive is they imitate their parents. I mean, anybody who's been a parent will know that the young children do this. So the person who runs when their parent runs will most likely stay alive longer than the, the child who stops and looks around and says, I need to think this through rationally, when a predator arrives. So first, we're an imitation machine. Now, if our friends and colleagues and successful people use the scientific rational method, we will imitate it. I, I don't think our brain has any particular rational or scientific or you know, calculative qualities. Really, it's just an act of imitation. So you do get some people who, who like to imitate the irrational. They like to say, I, I make decisions on feels, not thinks. I... I like to be irrational. I like to, you know, flip a dice and make decisions that way. I like to just react. I don't want to go through a rational process. Remembering that, you know, 50% of the time our decisions are wrong so that maybe it doesn't make a huge difference. But long term for important things like medicine and engineering, the rational method has proved itself far superior the two writers in this area, and I, and I suppose they come out of psychology, that I like, one of, one of them particularly is Klein, who does a lot of work, I think, now for the military. Um, he wrote a, an excellent book in the late 90s. I think he called it naturalistic decision-making, but the, the clever thing to me about the book was he carefully studied the decision-making of nurses and firefighters. And he concluded that they make decisions based on patterns. So firefighters would look at a fire, look at its colour and its shape and its history and what resources it's got, and by a, a method of pattern recognition that the more experienced firefighters had developed to a high degree, he would make a decision as to how they were going to attack the fire, where they were going to retreat, what equipment they would use. And the same with nurses. He noticed that Nurses would look at a patient, look at their behaviour, look at their history, look at their colour. A sort of pattern of behaviour would be recognised and then their experience would be drawn upon to make a decision. Now you might say that in both these cases they don't seem to be imitating anybody. But we have to assume that in their background or past, certain patterns of, if you like, shape and colour of fire or you know, the, the sickness, how it presented itself, was treated in certain ways, either successfully or unsuccessfully. There, so there was a pattern in the past that they want to imitate. I mean, one can imitate in the negative, saying I'm going to do, you know, I have to do exactly the opposite of this. But So it is imitation, but they're imitating a past experience that they had or, of course, it could have been told to them by somebody. Or they could have sort of seen it on a training video or something or other. But it basically, there is a pattern of activity that's in their head that they recognize and they make a decision on that. 
they're imitating that past pattern of experience, including what decision was made at the end of it. So it is imitation, but it's imitation of a pattern of behavior that maybe is not clearly associated with any one person. Particularly good, I think, Klein's work, because it's important to think of our brains as pattern recognition machines or pattern forming machines. We've got networks and networks remember things and store things as patterns, where a pattern is a path through your billions of neural connections, a particular path through your neural connections. So even if you're imitating a hero or, say, a successful financier, it's the pattern of activities that you're actually imitating. So the, the successful person does a certain pattern of activity and you copy it. What you consider to be an unsuccessful person does a pattern of activity and you don't copy it. The, the end decision is all part of the pattern. So really, when you're using benchmarking or role models or you know, respected others to make decisions, you're really just imitating a pattern of behavior that you've chosen that pattern rather than another pattern. It's just sometimes it's easier to think, well, I do what this famous person does or this person I respect does or this successful organization does because I'm not really sure what all the pattern of activities are yet. When, I, when I've got a better handle on it, I will know what patterns of activities they follow and why, hopefully. Um, and I, it's those patterns of activity. So if you want to imitate a successful department, maybe they make decisions by in a particular way, in meetings, have a particular format, and they make group decisions, it's that pattern of activity that you're benchmarking. Okay, moving on a bit from Klein, Kahneman and Tversky, and now Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winner in psychology, they, and, and a lot of psychology, take a slightly different approach to understanding decision-making. First, let me start with a bit of it that I like, and that's framing. So the mainstream psychologists say we, we frame things. When we make decisions, we frame things. Um, so the, the classic test for this is they asked students how they think a particular rescue plan, um, you know, whether it was a good or a bad one, or how would they decide you know, to rescue people. There's a bunch of people on an island, being a bit you know, loose about it, this, um, and they say that a certain percentage will die and a certain percentage will live. So the, the data is presented in a sort of survival mode. In the, the same sort of details are, are, are supplied to people, but it's more in terms of how many will die rather than how many will live. And people don't like that plan. So it's framed as, if we do this, so many will die. You get a different reaction, even if the facts are exactly the same, to saying, if we do this, so many will live. We make decisions based on some sort of frame. Now, of course, if you think of a frame as a pattern of activity, then we're back again to our imitation, decision-making by imitation. So if you might say, I'm going to look at this from a woman's perspective, or I'm going to look at this from an engineer's perspective, or an accountant's perspective, that's a frame. But, of course, we expect women engineers, accountants, to have a particular pattern of activity or interests and concerns... Um, 
So we're imitating that. So I think the framing stuff is really about imitation. Of course, you'll pick up that my interest in concepts, what concepts are we using? I think a frame is, of course, another word for a concept or um, organizing principle. Okay, so moving on now to what used to be called human information processing systems or the psych literature that has found that humans have lots of biases. We have anchoring bias and we have, you know, I, I don't know, there's just almost an endless supply of them. You go and look up human biases. And we're told that compared to you know, rational, sensible human beings or rational, sensible calculations, human beings are very poor decision makers. So I think the analogy being used here is that we should make decisions like a machine, like a computer. And in fact, that, that analogy, you know, our brains are like a computer or our memories are like a computer, is a very, very dangerous one, and yet it's been a very popular one. Humans do not think like computers. You've got to think of computers and artificial intelligence as augmenting humans, not replacing them. Humans, I suspect, think by pattern recognition, comparing patterns. Computers don't. Computers use a much more calculative, rational method. That's largely what's been calculated into them. They're better with maths. So people will present probabilities and say, if you were, you know, an intelligent computer, you'd make this decision, but in a lot of cases, humans make that decision. Uh, and I think that's a big mistake, and I think it's just heading in the wrong direction. And the whole biases thing is just heading in the wrong direction. It's compared to a computer or compared to a mathematical model. And I, if you don't think of the brain as being a computer or a mathematical model, that's not very helpful, apart from pointing out that... You know, it might be useful to write computer programs that augment humans, that, that come up with an alternative decision or alternative analysis to the one that humans will make based on their evolutionary cognitive abilities. So there's a, as an example, I mean, we could go through all these and spend a long time. There was a famous experiment called Ash, by Ash, that whereby four or five students conspire against a, you know, a subject, somebody you know, who's going to come into the room, um, and, and they, what they do is they say, when asked, given a series of lines, and when people in the room are asked which is the longest line, they're all going to conspire to say one that is obviously not the longest and see whether the victim or the subject conforms, whether they sort of think, well, everybody else thinks that. My eyesight's not telling me that, but I'll go along with that. Um, and that this is a you know failure of human decision-making because they allow social bias to alter you know their, their physical perception of what's in front of them. By the way, quite a large number of people do opt to agree with the group rather than point out what is obviously the longest of the lines. You know, that have been drawn on a piece of paper or card or the whiteboard or something. See, the imitation theory of decision-making would say that they, he simply decided that he's going to imitate the others in the room rather than imitate, 
using your eyes or the empirical evidence or or rational decision making it's a decision they've made as to who they're going to imitate and one assumes that if they've decided that it's better to be friendly to the group than it is to care about which is the longest line they'll imitate you know the group now I'm assuming they didn't like the people in the group or they got a, they were aware of somebody else their hero who was famous for speaking out against group consensus then they would you know almost purposely choose the longest line rather than than, than what the other group had, had said was the longest line so it's simply a matter of choosing who you're going to imitate and in fact that's Maybe the whole point of decision-making is that you're making the decision as to who to imitate when you make a decision. I'm a bit reluctant to say this, but if you want a lot more information on this, a lot more detail, then I suggest uh, my own book, of course, um, which is called Smart Imitation Remix. It's on Kindle. When we choose who to imitate, that might be almost automatic. If you've been brought up by a family and you're in a profession um, and you know people and influenced by people, you might not sit there and think, oh, that decision is clearly because I've been influenced by this person or this profession or this ideology. You, you might just do it. You've got into the habit of doing it. I mean, other people try purposely to think, I, I live my life, I, answer, I, I respond to decisions, I, make, I solve problems by imagining that, I don't know, I mean, maybe an extreme example is that, you know, that Jesus is in the room or Buddha is in the room or Muhammad is in the room um, or, you know, my hero is in the room, my dad's in the room or, you know, my wife or husband or something is in the room and they're fo following my decision making and to some extent I would like their approval. I'd like to do it in the way they would do it. So you can do this explicitly, or I think you know, your life experience will, will form defaults, which might be why sometimes you think, you know, I've, I've been a bit irrational, but I, when people say, I'm begging in the street, and some occasions you get cross with them and say no, and other occasions you're generous, and you're possibly then making decisions without a consistency of who you are, who you're imitating, who you want to be like, which, by the way, of course, is an extension of the imitation. If, you, if you're clearer about who you are or what you want to be, and it might be people in the public domain are clearer about this because they know how to respond to these situations because they've been very clear about the personality that they are. The rest of us may be, you know, aren't as clear on who we are and what we want to be and therefore our decision-making can appear to be a little bit erratic. Sometimes we ha we're the behaviour of a, a compassionate person, and sometimes the behaviour may be of somebody who believes in self-determination more, or a pro-charity and an anti-charity person. An anti-charity person believing that long-term charity can do more harm than good. Which is why the Lutheran Protestants used to say, don't do good works to other people, give them a job and pay them. 
Okay, so in terms of our system, the consequences of using this system are, I think, that you can be a lot clearer, a lot more explicit about your decision-making. Of course, you might have one thing that you're going to imitate for one type of decision, say, around the family. You might say, at work, technically, this is the, the, you know, the role model or the hero or the system that I'm going to imitate. And then maybe in your social life, you imitate something else. But the consequences are maybe you make more consistent decisions, maybe you understand your decision-making, maybe it's easier to change your decision-making if you don't like the consequences of some of it. If you find yourself being, say, bad-tempered when you're driving in traffic and say, no, I've got to, you know, I'm, I'm imitating somebody here, I, I've really got to change who it is I'm imitating in order to get myself to calm down and stop, you know, screaming and shouting at, at other traffic users or of course if you're the other way and tend to stop and let people through when you have priority causing confusion you might say I, I really need to to think of somebody else that I would imitate how would they deal with this traffic situation it does allow for an appraisal of who you're imitating quite often you, you make all sorts of decisions and, and it it's a sort of insightful to say, why am I making the decisions? Why, why did I say that rather than this? And reflecting a little bit on the influences on your decision-making, who it is that you're imitating, directly or indirectly, um, it provides a lot more insight into your own thinking processes. Of course, if you're coordinating a group, that... This can be useful as well, but you can say to the group, make decisions as if you were this person or this department or these successful people. Say to yourself, what would they do? Do something similar. Then we're all roughly coordinated. We're all on the same page in our decision making. This system is a, an evolutionary one, as I mentioned. I think it's one that explains you know, how we get from pre-language to language. Remember, I think that patterns that you're going to imitate can be called things. They could sort of say, you know, this is a certain pattern of investment. I'll call that the Warren Buffett method and, and, and say, well, I'm imitating Warren Buffett. But it's, of course, it's his behavior that you're imitating. But it, it is an evolutionary system. That is, it can explain how animals make decisions. It explains how primitive human beings made decisions right up to the modern day, whereas if you say, well, humans should be rational and calculative, you can sort of say, well, then you'd have to find a bit of their brain that, that was a, like a calculator, and, it, and that sort of doesn't exist, of course. All you've got is neural networks, so you have to explain it in terms of neural ne networks. And I think this decision-making by imitation does explain it through to neural networks, that we imitate patterns, and patterns are pathways in a network. We are distinguishing to some extent how we make decisions rather than how we should make decisions. I'm a great supporter of the rational scientific method and saying that you first collect as much evidence as you can and make a decision. I just think the reality is that's not always possible. And I think we've got to just understand that that is a imitated pattern of behavior rather than it is how the brain works. 
I know some people might be thinking, look, I, I don't imitate people. I'm you know, unique and creative and clever and uh, you certainly don't go around copying people. That's not correct, but I think it's mostly a slight misunderstanding. I'm saying you choose who to copy. You can chop, copy different people in different situations, but you are looking for pattern when you make decisions and you, and you copy that pattern. Of course, you can remix things. You can see, well, I, I see a pattern of behavior in finance and I'm going to bring that into engineering and use that same pattern. We're going to imitate it, but in a different context. So you can remix the imitation. That allows for the creativity. And even, of course, you're a bit caught because the paradox here that if you say, well, I'm the sort of person who purposely makes weird decisions, thinking now you're imitating those people who make weird decisions. Or I'm the sort of person who tosses a coin to make a decision. Or I'm the sort of person who uses a feel, not a thing, to make decisions. You're imitating those people, that pattern of activity. Okay, so let me end by just talking about decision criteria. I've mentioned elsewhere, and people will be very aware, that often when you're making a decision, people are given guidelines or a set of criteria to assist in making that decision. The most obvious area is when you employ people. So you're often given a list saying, we want somebody who matches these criteria. They've got to have these qualifications, this sort of personality, have done these sort of things. Uh, and the one that's done that the best will employ. So these are decision criteria. Now, we've said before that really you should think of each of these criteria or concepts or organizing principles or frames, as being a pattern of activity. So we want somebody who has a degree in engineering, that is, they've been through four years of this and done that and passed this and learnt about that and they've done a certain thing. So somebody could have the equivalent of that without actually having a degree in engineering. But the it's a pattern of activity and we're going to imitate that. We want somebody who has that pattern of activity. The fact that there's a handful of these criteria, I think, is a positive. Um, when, we, when we say we make decisions by imitating people, it might be better if we make decisions by not just thinking of how one person would behave, but how three, four, five people would behave and selecting the best of that. So we've got to imagine a debate going on in our head between the handful of people we respect. So we take a few patterns of activity, and they might be thought of sequentially. So if we just change the language a bit, we sort of say, well, I make decisions based on if Buddha was standing watching me, and I make decisions if my children were standing next to me, and I make decisions based on whether a successful financier was standing next to me, so I could go through them and say, well, if I made this decision, would Buddha be happy? Would my children be happy? Would my financial hero be happy? Or I could say they would argue it out and I'll make the decision that they would come up with collectively. But I still think you've got to think of those decision criteria as something you intend to imitate, a pattern of behavior you tend to compare with your decision. To say we want somebody who has an engineering degree, of course, is to imitate those who think that, uh, possibly, say, the universities or 
other people with engineering degrees or somebody that you respect who said it's very important that people have an engineering degree in order to do this job. Having a set of criteria and the criteria themselves are an act of imitation. Can't get away from it. We're human beings. Again, put another way, you might say, well, my hero says, whenever you make a decision, consider these five criteria. And that's where the criteria come from. But it was all, again, imitation. Okay, so an assignment. Think of a decision you've made, both a quick one and one that you've agonised over, Look at what you actually decide and see if you can think of the influences, who it was or what pattern of activity that you used in order to make that decision, either explicitly or implicitly. Try and become aware of the influences on your decision making, even if they are that I, I make totally irrational decisions for my own entertainment recognize that that is the behavior that you are imitating. And you might, of course, be using a different pattern of activities, a different thing to imitate in different situations. At home, when dealing with the family, it might be very different from you know, being in a you know, life-threatening engineering or professional situation where you have to make decisions that your colleagues would approve of and justify them. Okay, thank you very much.